You want it. You need it. It's what everyone's talking about. The Kevin Sheehan Show. Now, here's Kevin. You're listening to The Sports Fix. Tommy's here. I'm here. Aaron's here. Uh, Lots to get to today, including a follow-up to our Thursday show, which created so much angst out there. So many of you. Tommy, this, yes. this is, is going to be known as the Apology Show, right? <laughs> well, yesterday, it's funny because you came in here and you said, today's the Apology Show, and what did I say to you? What are you talking about? Because <laughs> I've already forgotten about what happened last Thursday. But yesterday, what's funny about this is on the show yesterday, um, people had asked me to apologize for a tweet that I put out after the game on Sunday where people thought I was accusing Dwayne Haskins of faking an injury, which I was not. You know, 280 characters or less. Sometimes people misinterpret. That's not what I was doing. What I was suggesting was, and most of you that listened to the show yesterday, what I was suggesting was maybe they know him, Haskins, better than we know Haskins, and maybe they know him to be a bit of a drama queen, to be overly dramatic. Not that he was faking it, but that he was just overly dramatic. Because even Callahan said yesterday... He was cleared to play. Now, I know their medical stuff and all of that, you know, skepticism over their medical opinions and and direction. I get all that. But bottom line is, I don't think he was seriously hurt in the game. Um, he's not, you know, been listed as out like Geis and Kerrigan already have. No, listen, for, we, for Sunday. But but you but, had but, the you had the wrist a couple weeks ago. I know. That all of a sudden came up. When somebody asked them, how come you were missing receivers? We're going to circle back to this in a bit, but I bring it up because people were asking me to apologize on the show yesterday, and I said, I'll apologize when hell freezes over for that. That's your fault if you didn't see the other tweets or you haven't listened to my show or you misinterpreted. I gave you how it should have been interpreted because I was the one that tweeted it. I know what I meant, and there was no chance in hell I was going to apologize to anybody for that tweet. And so you came in today and you said, this is the apology show, and I thought you were talking about that. But actually you were talking about the Thursday show in which you reminded me we got into a discussion about Dwayne Haskins retweeting his pro football focus grade, which was very good after the game at Carolina. Third in the league he was. Yes. And um and we we also um we also had no idea what TMC hashtag TMC meant. I am not going to apologize, I swear to you, Tommy. Hell will freeze over before I will apologize for not knowing what hashtag TMC meant. Because I actually asked later that day when you called me about that, I asked Clinton Portis, I asked Chris Cooley if they knew what it was. They did not know what it was. And then I told them what it was, and, and they were like, Oh, yeah, 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 but I wouldn't have gotten that as a hashtag. Um, I wouldn't have gotten it, period. It's Nipsey Hussle's The Marathon Continues. God rest Nipsey Hussle's soul. Uh, you know, it, it was not meant in any way to be disrespectful to him. I didn't know it. Call me boomer. Call me old. Call me old and white. Uh, all of those things are probably true. Um, although I'm not sure if I'm actually a boomer. But anyway, um, I think... Maybe I am. I forget. Uh, but anyway, so uh, are you going to? You're going to apologize, I well, guess. Well, I mean, because I got really roasted because yeah. I followed it up saying that if you don't think uh, the rookie quarterback retweeting, patting himself on the back for his pro football focus uh, ranking uh, isn't a red flag, then you're colorblind. 
<laughs> and and that's when oh, what did people what what did people think of that? Is that when you called me and yeah. said, "Oh my God, people are lighting us up for this conversation"? Yeah, yeah. that's when because they went, thought it was somehow racially that, uh, that uh, race I was, was involved in this conversation. I, I was tagged a racist. Oh my God, people, I was, you're I was so tagged lim- a racist. You're limited. Good God. Listen, there was nothing. Listen, there was Kevin, nothing Kevin, racial about minute, that conversation. Kevin, Kevin uh, you know, they, people said they expected me to apologize. Okay, so so I just wanted I just wanted to tell you that if you think I'm going to apologize, you must have me mistaken for a whole other person. <laughs> yeah, even when you're even people, I've known Tommy now for. It's 2019. I've known Tommy since 2006, 2007. Yeah. He doesn't apologize when he is wrong. <laughs> so don't think he's going to apologize when he's not wrong. Oh, so God. I mean, it really was. It really, it, it was. It was a pathetic showing on, on social media well, by by a small is. group of people. That's what it usually is. Come yeah. on. So yeah, what did I tell you when you called me that day? I said, Tommy, I know these are these, these are limited people that probably didn't even listen, probably heard it from somewhere else. Um, there was nothing uh, untoward, nothing involving race at all in that conversation. Um, but it, but but the, the the thing about it though, Tommy, is uh, the pro football focus number for this week. Well, well, well why why wait? Why announce it? I'm sure he'll retweet it at some point. Well, he hasn't so he far. He hasn't yet? He's not retweeted it so far, but I, I, and I don't think he will. You're being sarcastic right now, and the reason that I don't think he will is because he was 27th this week. He was third last week. The pro football focus number this week is 27th. That's not good? It's not good, um, and so I doubt that he will retweet that one. But, you know, some of you will, uh, out there are shaking your head. Well, why would he retweet something that's bad about him? He he's only going to retweet compliments. My advice to him, Boomer, okay, Boomer, would be don't retweet compliments. I don't care how many other quarterbacks have done it. People will do that for him. When you play well, let other people talk about your performance. Let other people promote you. When you do it yourself, that is by definition self-promotion. You you don't have to have a negative opinion about that if you don't want. That's a subjective thing. I personally believe that self-promotion is not the way to go. Let other people promote your your good games and the things that you do well. And hopefully there will be plenty more down the road. Now I'm a big anyway. I'm a big fan of self-promotion. I, I know promote you myself you do. You're great whenever I can. But I'm not the quarterback. I'm not the rookie quarterback. Of the Washington Redskins, who hasn't done anything yet. <laughs> not yet. Who hasn't hasn't done squat yet. I'm not the rookie quarterback of the Washington Redskins, who uh, who basically tweeted uh, who who has gotten who has had some strange tweets already uh, since he's been drafted by by this team, and also after uh, at his press conference after the Detroit win was so dismissive of the notion that he actually couldn't complete passes to receivers. I mean, th- 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 this is just... this is The wrist. Yes, the context mm-hmm. of doing that compared to the other things that he's done. And, oh, by the way, he followed that up 
with uh, a, 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 a you know a like on an insta no a comment. I, I was going to just on Antonio Brown's Instagram account saying can't wait for you to come here. No, or- he didn't say that. He said a, he said let's go A B to D C. There it we was go. The Instagram apology from crazy Antonio Brown last week and and uh, dh simba uh that's dwayne haskins on twitter and maybe on instagram i don't know i just know his twitter handle dwayne haskins on instagram responded let's go a b to dc now apparently he worked out with uh antonio he Brown. did down in florida remember yeah. we saw some of that video yeah can I, my comment on that um you know you can think of it what you want i don't really give a shit is don't do that Okay, don't don't retweet compliments. I'll be really impressed if he re- retweets the Pro Football Focus numbers this week and says something like, I got to do better. Like, if he retweets the Pro Football Focus numbers from the game on Sunday where he finished 27th in the league, not third, and says, I got to do better, I'd be actually impressed with that. I think he should stay away from all that, personally. But here's why I, I have a problem with him you know, recruiting or, you know, saying to Antonio Brown, A, B to D.C., let's go. You know, he's he's in his rookie season. He has started five games. There's been some excitement, not a lot, some about McLaurin and Kelvin Harmon and Darius Geis and Dwayne Haskins and what the future of that could be. It's a bit, you know, maybe you don't view it this way and maybe some people listening don't view it this way, but it's a bit of, bit of a slap in the face to the other players on his team that he's playing with, that he's out recruiting somebody like Antonio Brown. Well, now, maybe, other players have done this. I understand now, that. I, Bryce Harper did this but he's the in quor- baseball. But he's the quarterback of the team. There's, a, there's an ex- expectation of leadership. There's an expectation of supporting and being there You're for your right. receivers and You're your right. offensive line and not out asking for others to come in and join when you're just at the beginning of something with two young guys in McLaurin and Harmon. Now, some of you might say, and it might be true, well, Harmon and McLaurin would probably be the first two to say, come on, Antonio Brown. And maybe that's true. Let the team recruit Antonio Brown. Uh, it, it, I also said yesterday, Tommy, if um, if the whole group comes back, and we're going to get to to that here shortly, I want Antonio Brown on the team next year. Oh, I, I I've uh, wanted I, Antonio Brown on the team yeah. from day one. If 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 all of these you know dummies are coming back next year, just give me Antonio Brown to Absolutely. make it entertaining. Absolutely, count me in. Yeah. on that. Um. So anyway, so no apology nope. for not knowing hashtag TMC nope. for being critical of Dwayne Haskins retweeting his Pro Football Focus number three ranking next week. Um, no, you're not going to get an apology from Tommy. You're not going to get an apology from me. Um, I have not changed my mind on the way I feel, uh, despite you telling me that we got a lot of angry tweets about it. Um, have you changed the mi- your no. mind? No, you I have not. I've you, not I mean, changed some of my those, mind. Some of those tweets, I'm sure, were well thought out and really intelligent. Oh, oh yes, they were. I, 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 absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. They were embarrassing. Okay. They so were, They um, were embarrassing the level of intelligence zone. On, on social media. Well, you, you're the one, no offense, you're the one that really engages with some of these idiots in 280 characters or less. But two, once in a while. All the time. And then you end up blocking people or or, or muting people. Uh, why do you engage the dum-dums? I, I would say, honestly, for our audience, and you and I have a similar audience on social media, um, I think 50% of you, I love it. You're smart. You have sharp takes. 
And 50% of you either don't listen very well, you don't listen, A, B, you're not good listeners, or C, you're just flat out dumb. So that's the way I would describe a lot of the tweets and interactions I get. I never, or very rarely, compared to others in in our field, I very rarely engage those people. Maybe I should. Maybe it would be entertaining. I Um, enjoy doing it. I know you do. I get get a kick out of it because I, I like... It's like playing with a fly. But then you got upset Friday because you did call me, and you. Well, rarely... I just wanted to make sure you knew what was going <laughs> I, on. But but wouldn't you know based on my history that I probably didn't know? I think I thought that I didn't care. I thought you should know what was going okay. on. That's well, all. you know what the race thing always bothers me. You know when people, you know their default is, oh well, they're ripping on Dwayne Haskins. Kevin wouldn't rip on Kirk Cousins. Well, I have many times. And um, Aaron, what's that? Uh, the guy on Twitter that that created a site about me, um, Kevin Sheen is God. Yeah, he retweeted. He 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 went and found an old tweet of mine where he, where I criticized Kirk Cousins, and he put that one out there <laughs> as a defense. Um, it's hysterical. It re, you know. So one other thing about this, and I talked about this yesterday, but you weren't here, so I'm going to repeat it. When you are in a city with a team like the Redskins, with a fan base that is rooting for a perennial loser. You know, it it turns Twitter on game days into a jungle. I mean, it is angry. It is frustrating. We start eating each other alive. <laughs> and part of it is just because we're rooting for such a dysfunctional loser. Because if if there were games to focus on, you know, rather than all of these other things. Like if they were playing important games, if they were important and relevant in the National Football League when it came to the standings, there would be arguments, but they would be much different. You know, they would be, how in God's name did they go for that fourth and one? Or why did he punt it on fourth and one? This this game is for the number two seed in the NFC playoffs. You gotta <laughs> go for it. You know, or things like that. But we never ever have a chance. To have those kinds of debates. No, because they're not an NFL franchise. They <laughs> well, play in the NFL, but they're not an NFL franchise. Right. But they're about to become one, aren't they, buddy? Are they about to become aren't one? Aren't they about to become one? Isn't change on the horizon? Yes. Yeah, so, um, all right. So let's go there because we got to get to Strasburg here. And there are other things, too. But a couple of things. Um, so I do believe that there's a chance something will happen this week. I've been talking about it for a few weeks now. Um, this was... Um, you know, and I felt felt for a while that Bruce Allen's not coming back. I, I think the Bruce Allen era is going to end. I do. I, I don't know that. I'm not reporting it. Uh, but it's a pretty informed hunch that they're going to move in another direction and there are going to be changes, I think. You know, I felt the same way last year based on a lot of the same sort of informed hunches. Understand that. That this time last year, I was pretty bought in and sold it. When they got eliminated, I thought there was no chance Bruce Allen was coming back. I didn't think Gruden was coming back. I thought there would be major change, and there wasn't. So when you have sort of a, you know, an owner who is impulsive and, you know, um, uh, he could change his mind. Uh, my bet is he's not going to, and there are going to be changes. But then I saw something this morning. Talked about this on the radio show. Maybe you know who these people are. Do you know who Pro Football um, uh, Pro Pro Football Network is? The Pro Football Network. No, I don't. Nor I had never heard of them either. But they put out a tweet that somebody sent to me overnight, and I saw it earlier this morning. 
they they wrote that according to Albright NFL, that's Benjamin Albright. He is he's got eighty six thousand followers. He's a Colorado Denver guy and an NFL reporter. He may host a show in Denver. That may be how we know that name, and maybe he's had a story before. But he reported that Chiefs offensive coordinator Eric Bieniemy is somebody to watch as an early front runner for the Redskins head coaching job. When I read that, it, it immediately triggered the following response because I've talked about this on the podcast going back, you know, three weeks, almost a month now. Dan Snyder's new golden boy is Alex Smith. Right. He really likes Alex Smith a lot. They get along. And he sits next to him during games. And, you know, I, I, I talked about this about a month ago that, you know, if Alex doesn't come back as a player, don't be shocked if he, if he comes back in another capacity. Well, Eric Bieniemy and Alex Smith know each other very well. Eric Bieniemy's been in, in Kansas City on Andy Reid's staff for since 2012 or 2013. It's been five, six, seven years, something like that. So he was there for Alex Smith. And if Bieniemy is being considered, there's no doubt in my mind that there's Alex Smith influence in this. Because Dan Snyder wouldn't know Eric Bieniemy from you know anybody else. Um, so Alex Smith, you know... That's one potential path here that wouldn't shock me is Alex Smith having a significant, you know, job in the organization. Right. Eric Bieniemy being sought after to be the head coach, and that's the direction they go in. That wouldn't surprise me either. Um, there are other paths that I think are out there. Now what about the Todd Bowles well, Joe Gibbs path? Uh, and don't forget when Jay Gruden was fired. You know, offshore books were putting up lines, and Eric Bieniemy was the favorite the day Jay Gruden was fired. That's true, because Eric but remember, Bien-Aimé, we weren't sure what the reason would. Well, be. the reason was that he was going to be the number one coordinator That's right. on anyone's. You're list. right, Aaron. That's exactly right, and Bieniemy is going to be sought after. Yeah, I, I, by every, any team with an opening. Yes. But what about the Todd Bowles-Joe Gibbs connection? Oh, well, that's always a connection that I thought was a good one. Um, I'm not hearing – I haven't heard anything about that recently. Um, also, keep in mind, Tampa's defense this year has not been very no, good it hasn't. Um, with Bowles, but that wouldn't deter me at all. Um, the uh, – you know, this would – so for an owner that – Let's just say he rids himself of perhaps his biggest, you know, weight right now, which would be Bruce Allen in terms of his ability to go out and create something new that's legitimate without just taking people that are unemployed. You know, that's basically what they had to do with their coaching staff last year. They had to take people who were out of coaching or didn't have any other opportunities. Now, part of that was because Jay Gruden was perceived as a lame duck. I understand that. But... You know, Alex Smith may be his opportunity to be perceived as legitimate. Would Alex Smith, do you think, could, first of all, would he, and then the second part is could he, would he tell Dan Snyder no? Not about the job, oh. but just no. I mean, because part of the problem, let's face it, Dan Snyder does not employ people who will say no to him. That's right. Not you're you're right about that. Um, so w- would Alex Smith? I would say feel I, feel feel confident enough and powerful enough to 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 say, you know, you're wrong, Dan. You can't do this. I have no idea, but I would lean no. I would lean no, because from what I've heard, Alex Smith really likes Dwayne Haskins. 
which, by the way, the owner really likes Dwayne Haskins. And not to say that that's the only reason he's saying he likes Dwayne Haskins, to buddy up with the owner to potentially get a big-time job. Maybe, maybe the GM job. You know, it would be an out-of-the-box hire, but we've seen more of those in recent years. Witness what happened in San Francisco with John Lynch. Lynch. If they were going to hire out-of-the-box, sorry, Tommy, don't comment on this, I would hire Chris Cooley because he's been right about every single college player that he has analyzed, including the guy that he said he would have taken a quarterback, which is Drew Locke. I don't know if he's right about Drew Locke. He had one good game. I'm I'm exaggerating. But it looks like he can play, maybe. Um, How would we feel about... Alex Smith. Oh, people would be very excited. Very excited. Why? Well, because Alex Smith is perceived as uh, unblemished, uh, untouched. Inexperienced, too. Yes, but but unsoiled. You know, like he is a bright light, and Dan Snyder is, is the darkness. And I think people would love to bask in the bright light of Alex Smith, the human being. As much as anything, you know, because it's been a long time since you've had a human being in charge at Redskins Park. Let's face it. You know, it's interesting. Vinny Serrato, you know this, I think, to a certain degree. He was obviously not, you know, legitimately qualified to be an NFL general manager. I shouldn't say he wasn't qualified. He wasn't a good no, NFL. No, he wasn't. But he actually was a good guy. Well, Kevin, you can't be a good guy and 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 carry out and be a henchman, okay? You can't do both. You, no, you can be a good guy. You just can be a guy that you that no, other you know, people you can't. don't respect. You know, it's like saying that's like saying like a, a mob hitman. Well, he was a good guy. <laughs> well, you know, he was a good guy. You he follow me his, all around on this podcast, and he, I think you're a good guy. <laughs> he treated his family well and all that. No, uh-huh. Vinny was not a good guy. Right. He wasn't evil like Bruce. No, he is. Was, that's the thing. That's my point. Is that Vinny actually? You know, was a. I think he was a decent human being. Okay, but he, again, you can't be a decent human <laughs> well, being and, and work for Dan Snyder. You can't do it. Yeah, well, um, anyway, this Beanie Alex Smith thing, the Beanie news. I don't know if it's credible or not. Let me just start there. I don't know enough about at Al Albright NFL or Pro Football Network. You know, this wasn't you know Pro Football Talk. You know, this wasn't Pro Football Focus. Um, they don't do reporting, but. I, I don't know how credible it is. But credible it is. I do have a sense that Alex Smith is one of the new favorite people in Dan Snyder's life, and that he really respects him, and he gets along with him, and that he really um, that he uh, that that he believes in in what he believes in. Like he 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 views Alex Smith as a really good, smart resource. Okay, let football me ask, resource. Let me ask you something. And, about- hold on, I just want to say one thing. I do. I don't think I'd have a problem with it because just like when Mike and Bruce came in here versus Dan and Vinny, it was like it just beat the hell out of the alternative in the moment, and I think I would feel that way. But Alex Smith has no experience to be a general manager. Now, if they brought him in in another capacity and elevated Kyle Smith to general manager, and Alex Smith was somehow influential and a decision maker, maybe he was, you know, 
um, director of, of personnel. He got some sort of title. Director of Dan Snyder. Uh, you know, I don't I don't know that I have a problem with it, and I don't know that I, I Eric Bieniemy to me is very intriguing. You know, but they've had some talent in Kansas City. Let's not forget that they got Tyreek Hill, they got Travis Kelsey, they they did have Kareem Hunt. They they've got a, a guy you may have heard of him, Patrick Mahomes at quarterback. Haskins to me so far, even though I've been more positive than negative. Not Patrick Mahomes. He's not even Drew Locke. <laughs> well, it's one game that Drew Locke. Okay. Well, yeah, I know that. Yeah. I'm still waiting for the one I game. Like, I like. Drew I'm Locke still. Too. I'm still waiting for the one game from Dwayne Haskins. Well, I know. So, uh, well, Kevin. Yes. If, if there is a Bruce Allen departure, is it friendly? And if it's friendly, does that mean Bruce Allen will still have a voice? In the organization as an advisor or some... I don't have the answer, but he can't, Tommy. You can't have him. You could... Uh, he's got to retire or be fired so that you can get the maximum benefit of his exit. If he's reassigned... Well, it wouldn't surprise me because Dan Snyder is clearly detached from what his fan base or majority of the fan base thinks. But nobody then is going to buy into it. Nobody is. Now, if you wanted to hire him as an outside consultant for the stadium, you know, okay, but he can't be in the building. By the way, that would be a waste of time. Do you agree with me? He yes, can't be I in agree. the building. I agree. Or you don't get the benefit of having him Whatever exit. short-term benefit you're going to get from his exit, and trust me, it will be short-term. Whatever short-term benefit you'll get, you're not going to get if he's still connected with the team right. in any way, shape, or form. And hiring him as a consultant for the stadium is an absolute waste of time. A waste of time. Yeah, I don't. I, I, I don't. Bruce know Allen's not going to have any influence uh, on the stadium. You still think? Just as a quick uh, digression, do you still think they do not get any jurisdiction to give them funding for a new stadium? No. No. What, what about the location if Snyder pays for it himself? I think it stays where it is. I think if if he builds a new stadium, it's right next to the old one. Hmm. I mean, they're, they're not. I don't. I, I think. I think the chances of going to RFK were slim. But without Jack Evans on the city council or uh, on his way out on the city council, seemingly, he was their biggest supporter. He was the guy who was working with Bruce Allen right. all these years in, in plans to try to get a stadium in D.C. Without Jack Evans, I don't care what the mayor wants. It's not happening in the district. Like, I spoke to somebody who's pretty high up mm -hmm. in district government yesterday, uh, and they said basically... There's a housing crisis right now in the city. People are not crazy about the idea of, of enabling a millionaire football owner that everyone likes, but that, that everyone dislikes. That polling that came out a few weeks ago, remember, actually had a question about the stadium. I know. And the, the residents of the District of Columbia actually were in favor of the stadium going at the RFK site, just not in favor of financing it. But politically... Politically, right now, housing is a very hot topic in the yeah. district, affordable housing. And rightfully so. Yeah. Because, <laughs> I mean, because the housing in the district oh, right now is ridiculous. Skyrocketing. Yeah. Skyrocketing. Um, Junior Gallette, did you see what he tweeted? I heard you talking about it on the show today. Yeah, so Junior Gallette tweeted last night, according to his sources, there's going to be a front office total cleaning. They're going to clean out everybody. So he's in the reporting business as well. That was funny. His reactions were funny. It's like, like a player playing with a new toy. This source stuff is a lot of fun, isn't it? Here it is, Tommy. I've got uh, the Junior Gillette tweets. Okay. 
Uh, this one from, I guess, late yesterday afternoon. Sources tell me the Redskins are cleaning house starting with the front office. And then you were you were talking about some of the follow-up tweets um, with me. Um, I know I have to be more reliable than these reporters, LOL, so I'm waiting to see if the clean house means that the ban is lifted for me. Does he have some sort of ban from the Redskins? I guess he feels like Bruce Allen yeah. essentially banned him from the team. And then he says... Um, Hold on, where is it? Oh, uh, this is what he tweeted a little bit later on. Using sources is so fun, LOL. I get it now. Sources is usually spot on. I was so upset when I played for New Orleans and would read tweets saying sources say they're looking to trade Junior Gallette two weeks. Uh, t- looking to trade Junior Gallette. And then two weeks later, he writes, boom, I got released, LOL. So he has a newfound respect <laughs> for, sources. for sources. Yes, he does. <laughs> He, get, he gets how how it goes. Uh, nobody else picked him up. Uh, let's stick with the Redskins uh, since we've already gone down that path here um, because I wanted to mention a couple of other things real quickly. Ian Rappaport did have the story this morning that Geis did not have a torn ACL. That's good news. Which is good news. Yeah. But still, he's got a sprained MCL, and they might keep him out the rest of the, the, I think, the season. I think uh, Ian suggested that. He did. I mean, I love Geis so far, and I didn't think I was going to. I mean, the game against Carolina and even the run that he got hurt on was another typical Darius Geis run. Like, he's good. But you can't count on him moving forward. This is going to be three injuries in a year and a half. I know. So um, I'm glad it's not the ACL because then he would have been essentially lost for the first half of next year maybe or certainly a part of next year. Um, So I'm I'm glad that, that that's okay. And then I did want to get your thoughts on the game on Sunday. They covered, which I had them. I had them covering against Green Bay. They're a covering machine. I don't know if you've noticed that. They're no. five and two in their last seven with old Coach Cal. But what did you make of the hysteria, the the fan and media reaction to them leaving a one legged quarterback in the <laughs> in the game? What did you make of that? Well, let me just say this. Yeah. You know, before we pin we pin a, a red badge of courage on on, on Dwayne. Haskins oh come on, he was tough to get through for, that for game for playing. Uh, Tommy Lavero here once played two hours of tackle football at J.M. Hill School in East Stroudsburg on a broken ankle, uh-huh. a broken ankle, and then went dancing that night at Sailors Lake Pavilion on a broken ankle. Were you complaining, hobbling around, making no, it I wasn't. really dramatic? No, I wasn't. Now, when I woke up the next morning, I had a basketball on the end of my leg. I mean that's how that's how swollen my my ankle was. I didn't know it was broken at the time. So I just want to say that that this isn't the first guy on a football field to do this. It's been done before by yours truly. Um, well, I'm glad we got uh, right. we got that cleared up right. because the second a thing, lot of a lot of people remembered that particular game. I'm glad you it brought was it memorable. back to everybody's attention. It was yes. Rich Rich Hillman tackled me and broke my ankle. Yeah. Well, I mean Rich was a pretty good player. He was actually. He was he was a darn yeah. good high school football player. But, uh, uh, look, I had no problem with him playing. I mean, he, he sprained an ankle, you know? I mean, you know, they, they taped it up. Whoa. They put him out there. Good he for you. He sprained an ankle. All right. I mean, it was not that yeah. big of a deal. I mean, because you and I, well, I did at the, in the moment watching him, I, I was questioning it, just like I did with RG3 in the playoff game. Like, why, isn't the, why is he still playing? 
And then when I heard the explanation that they didn't really consider it to be very serious and that, you know, he's out there competing and toughing it out. And Callahan got real testy yesterday yes, he in did. his press conference. He did not want to be questioned about this, in part because, you know, he was cleared, you know, and you can laugh about the medical all you want. But I have a, I have a feeling that they probably, you know, recognize it as an injury, but not a serious injury in the moment. Um, but I'm glad he can't play through a If he can't play through a sprained ankle. Yeah, the media. I mean, they're they're up in arms over this. Well, thing. Th- this is the, this is, this this is terrible. Is, what the, they what they did to him and the, the, the danger they put him in. This is the sheep, <laughs> the sheep going ba. Yeah. This this was look. I, I experienced the same thing at Game Seven of the World Series in the press box. Were you playing? No. Oh. When Scherzer was struggling during the game, and people in the press box are going nuts that Dave Martinez isn't taking him out. Right. And Dave Martinez had had any invested in Max Scherzer. He he had too much invested in Scherzer to pull him from that game. But all you heard from the press box was, oh, they're you know, Nats are blowing it. They got nobody up in the bullpen. You gotta pull Scherzer. And what happened? Right. He got through the five innings. So they, they, you know, gave up battled, two runs. Battled. Battled. You know competed. Yes. <clears throat> so I mean look, it's nothing I mean it's it's just sheep. It's sheep it's, a it's sheep just bond. It, it cracks me up because one I think, does, and then the rest of them do. Because the one, the, so when Callahan Callahan was testy in his response yesterday to back to uh, back questions from Craig Hoffman from your station um, about why he didn't pull him, and he specifically didn't. He to be fair to Craig, uh, he, he didn't answer the questions d- no. you know, that, that were asked. He was just you could tell he was like tired of being you know, essentially lectured about how he should have pulled his rookie quarterback out there to protect him from something. And all of the people that feel that way don't have anywhere near the information that they have. It's like you, what you always say. It's like you don't have enough information. You don't know what Dave Martinez is thinking. You don't know what the context is. You don't know what the conversations have been. You don't know what the trainers are telling the coach. One thing he made very clear is that he didn't, according to the doctors or according to the information he got, he was cleared to play and he was fine. So... You know, was he hobbling around? Was he hopping at times? Uh, yeah, he looked hurt. I'll grant you that. I'll concede that point. Was he carrying his leg in his in his arms? No, he wasn't doing that. Just like RG three wasn't doing that either. Okay, well, but no, that's not true. He was limping badly. He's limping badly, and RG three is playing in a playoff game it, with a real injury, um, much more serious injury. But remember this too: RG three lied about it. Yes, he did. Okay. And we had that on tape. We had that. that Telling Tre- tell tell Trent, Trent Williams, Williams not to say anything. Don't say anything to the and coach. And we have what Mike Shanahan told us, if, yeah. if you believe Mike, and I think both of us do, that he was about to put Kirk Cousins in the game for the second half because RG3 was nowhere to be found at halftime. And they he and Dr. Beanie, uh, James Andrews, yes. came out of the came out of the, the room just as they were breaking for halftime. And, and Shanahan had said, where the hell were you? And he said, "Oh, it was. I'm fine. The knee's fine." And Doctor Andrews said, "He's good." Yeah. And it was about adjusting the brace. So, you know, I I don't. I think all of these situations. I do think. I do think there's an element. I'm not trying to be super condescending. I'm being slightly condescending, but I do think there's an element where a guy like Callahan, who's been a professional, competitive football coach his entire life, looks out in the in into the media room and says. 
you know, sorry, but this is, we're in a competitive business. This is a competitive business. And you know what? Journalism's a competitive business. And what we do is a competitive business to a certain degree. But they feel that they have a competitive level that we just don't understand. And he wasn't really seriously hurt or seriously in jeopardy of being hurt further. So don't question us on this. Like, we know what we're doing. I didn't have a problem with him being out there. Okay, good. That said, yeah. let me ask you a question. Okay. Was it important for that team to win the game? As it relates to Bruce Allen and As company? As it relates to anything. I think if they had won that game, Tommy... I think it could have potentially altered the plan that could be in place right now, and that is to move in a different direction. I do, because it would have been three wins in a row with the third coming against the Packers at Lambeau Field, and it would have been, and they would have nearly, they would have been eliminated. No, they wouldn't have been eliminated last night, even with the Eagles win. My point is, they would would still be, however bizarre, they'd they'd still still be in a playoff run. So, my point would be, if it was important to win that game, after Dwayne Actually, Haskins. Actually, no, 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 no. Last night would have eliminated them. Really? Yeah, because now you're guaranteed to have at least a seven-game division winner, Aaron, right? Because the Cowboys and Eagles are both six and seven. So yes. whoever wins that game is going to have a seventh win. So last night's Eagles win would have eliminated the Redskins. Wouldn't the Redskins still finish seven and nine if they won out? Oh, that's right. Yeah. But they I think still there had would a be chance. tiebreakers. They still had it. No, no, no. Maybe Tommy's right. I forget. See how the guy that's always been in charge of playoff scenarios, (laughs) see how completely dismissive of their chances I've been. Okay. I haven't haven't really even paid attention to it. Let me just still play that game. Yeah. That still still mattered to somebody. Right. Their best chance to win that game, once Haskins was hurt, was to put Case Keenum in the game. Good point. If you wanted to win the game. Yeah, if you really, really thought that – uh, Callahan and the organization was thinking that this was a playoff game, they had to win the game, then if he were seriously injured, they would have yanked him to put the guy that they actually think right now is better than yes. Dwayne anyway yes. in Haskins. They would have. It's, and, a, it's and, a good point. And, and look, give, give him, and, and here's the other thing I want to ask you. I know you're not a big Bill Callahan fan, and I love the guy. Uh how come the defense is playing better with Callahan in there? So, I mean, you didn't listen to the podcast or the radio show yesterday. But you know, for, I have things to do. I know you do. But for You know, I'm a busy man. But so for There's many demands uh, on my time. I know there are. You're very important. Yes. Uh, and if if we're not sure, just ask him okay. and he'll tell you how important he is. So, I, I said yesterday, like I'm not a Callahan fan. I think if God forbid they brought him back, it would be an utter disaster. I think we'd be sitting here a year from now having the same conversations, maybe not about a, a three and ten team, but about a five and eight team or a six and seven team. Um, and so I don't want him back. I'm not overly impressed with him. Um, I don't think he is a a head coach in the NFL at this point in his life. With that said, you know, you'd be an idiot not to say that this team now, after the last three games in particular, isn't a better team than they were early in the season yes. with Jay Gruden coaching it. That they're not a more physical team, that they're not a better team defensively, that they're not uh, a better and, and more sort of philosophy-based team offensively of being tr- you know physical and trying to run the football. Like, you know, I give him credit for that. I give him credit for, you know, the Carolina game being down 14 nothing, being down 14 nothing the other day. You know, most 2-10 and 
nine teams last week, most three and nine teams this week, down 14 nothing consecutive weeks. You know, most of them bail. You know, most of them then get, you know, absolutely thumped, you know, 35 to 7. And in both of those games, they came back and won the game last week and uh, against Carolina. And on Sunday, I never thought they were going to win the game. I never had that sense. It sort of felt like the Minnesota and Buffalo games a little bit, that they were in it score-wise. Right. But I didn't feel like they could win the game. But still, they were in it. They were playing hard. I know that you mock that and you mock the effort stuff, but you know I think there are times where you can see a team that's thrown in a towel and has has given up on on the season and it has major issues and that's not what you saw from this well, team last because, week or this week. That's because of Bill. I give him credit. I give Minuski some credit too. No, Minuski's the same defensive now, coordinator who was there when they were terrible. Okay, that's fine. But here's the thing, you know, still at the end of the day, they're three and ten. He's three and five since they became since he became head coach, and the three wins are over the Dolphins, the Lions, and the Panthers. Backup quarterbacks in every and, and backup quarterbacks in all three games, and they really didn't have a chance to beat Minnesota, Buffalo, or Green Bay. I mean, the score—if they had recovered an onside kick, who knows? Um, and the defense once again gave up a an end of the game six minute plus drive down one you know one possession you know uh, in terms of the score 17 to 9 at the time but uh, no i mean like you know doc's been all over callahan and he, he he's really dubbed him to be the guy that he wants he's he really doc wants him back you know i thought it was shtick at first it's not he believes in him but i also know that doc and brian you know, they really couldn't stand Gruden. They really thought Camp Gruden was a big part of why this team sucked. Well, it's not Camp Callahan anymore. There is a discipline. There is something going on there that's different. It's not good enough, though. No? Oh, Tommy, come on. No? No. You cannot bring Bill Callahan back as the head. First of all, he is totally clueless when it comes to the management of the clock and the timeouts. Again, on Sunday, it was embarrassing. Yeah, but that makes him no different than anybody else. Makes him no different than 50% of the guys in the, in the league, but whatever. Um, He's not coming back. <laughs> well, if, if if there's a if there's a house cleaning, I, he's not coming back. I think Dan likes Callahan and respects Callahan, though. I do think that. And I, the question, though, is does what does Alex think? That's right. The question could be what does Alex Smith think about Hask about? Uh, I think Alex Smith likes Haskins. Um, the question would be what does Alex Smith think about Callahan? Callahan. And remember though, and knowing that Alex Smith likes Haskins. It all goes hand in hand with you don't have to go find somebody that buys into Haskins. You don't have to worry about the guy that you might want that says, no, I'm, you know, if we have a chance to draft Joe Burrow, we're drafting Joe Burrow, which they should. I am more encouraged by Dwayne Haskins, and I think the jury, but the jury's clearly still out, and I would still bet against it being elite or being, you know, top 10. Um, but I'm encouraged by some of the things I've seen. There's no way if I'm the Redskins and I have a chance to draft Joe Burrow, uh, number one overall, uh, that I would pass on Joe Burrow. Well, they're not going to have that chance. But I, agree I they're with not going to have a chance. I agree with you. That's, I would that, never that's pass the guy on that. I, I, I wouldn't pass on. One last Looks thing. Looks like Aaron Rodgers to uh, me. about the Redskins. Yeah. I was so right about Matt Ioannidis. Yes, you were. I mean, so he's, right. He's a good. He's a he, damn good player. He, he damn is good player. so good. 
He he should go to the Pro Bowl this year. He's not going to, but he he is he's got that kind of potential. Yes, he ha- and so so do Allen and so so does Payne. Yeah, but Ioannidis is their best defensive lineman. Uh, it's you know what? On some days I think you're right. On other days I think it's Payne in terms of the talent. On other days I think it's Allen. What Ioannidis does better than anybody is he collapses the pocket. Man, he is a true interior pocket. Rusher. Well, Gruden said he was the strongest guy in the team. I know. Yeah, so. I, I, I'm. He's having a great year. Yes, a great year. All right. Anything else Redskins related? Because I want to get to the Strasburg thing. The Eagles won last night. Just real quickly on that game, they stink. Yeah, they do. I mean, with that said, last year they were six and seven, also, and then they pretty much got to nine and seven, and they won a playoff game and had New Orleans dead to right. You know, if not for the drop pass by, I think it was Alshon Jeffrey. Was it Jeffrey or Aguilar? One of those two dropped a pass against the Saints in the playoff game when they were going in uh, to take the lead. Um, you know, things change in the NFL. It's a week-to-week league. It, 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 could the Eagles get hot? Do they have – is is Wentz capable of getting hot? He is, but, God, they, they looked horrible in that first half. Yeah. I stayed up and watched that whole game. And can I make one other comment? And I can, and I will, because it's my podcast. Um, I, it, this is really strange. Tell me, tell me what you think about this particular feeling that I had watching the Eagles last night. I understood the draft significance. The Redskins could still lose to the Giants and finish, you know, in front of draft position wise, the Giants, if they lose to the Giants in two weeks, I don't want the NFC to look so bad. NFC East. Excuse I get me. that. I want the, I want the, want either the Cowboys or the Eagles to end up with a nine and seven. Yeah, you record. know, I mean, the NFC it's East imba- ha, it, it has a proud tradition, and you don't want to be embarrassed by it, by you know the, your conference that you're in, I, your I'm division ca- that you're in. I mean, it, it used to be it was the gold standard in the league. At the end of that game, I was thinking, you know what? I hope that Dallas and Philadelphia play in two weeks and they both have seven and seven records so that the winner gets to eight and seven and has a chance to get to nine and seven. And I'm th- sitting there going, why do I feel that way? I, I, I'm, I'm curious if anybody else out there is a Redskin fan, longtime Redskin fan, if you had this a similar feeling, just tweet me because I'm curious as to whether anybody else felt that way because I, I thought it was such a random way to feel and I didn't think anybody else would identify with that. But I don't want the NFC East to be six and ten or seven and nine as a division winner. That that goes to teams like the Carolina Panthers and like the NFC West when it was terrible there for a few years. Part of the greatness of the Redskins in the 80s was the fact that the Cowboys, the Giants, and the Eagles you know, 70s, were, 80s, were 90s, all good. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that was part of what made it so great. It was like every time there was a division game, it was like a heavyweight title fight. You know... It's strange, and you know I felt this way about Maryland in the ACC, that it, it was part of my fan identity, the ACC. Right. And part of my fan identity is the NFC East, and the NFC East being perceived as a marquee brand of a division. Like, if you think, we've had this conversation before, I, I believe, but when you think about divisions or conferences that are true brands, ACC basketball, all right, SEC football, NFC East. Yeah. The the American League East. Yeah. You know, these are like real brands that are associated with conferences and divisions. And one of the reasons for that is, you know, they've had heavyweight teams over the years. 
You know, and now you've been reduced. Div- I, I, the last thing I wanted to see is is the NFC East be the first division to ha- produce a six and ten winner. Now you've been reduced to club fighters. That's what from heavyweight fighters to club fighters. But it changes year to year. The NFL now, so it changes so quickly year to you year. You know, how come if it changes quickly, the Redskins year to year, don't how change? come nothing happens? No change happens with the Redskins. I don't know. They're, they're part of that group that never. Change. It's like the Patriots are at the top that rarely change, and then there are a couple teams at the bottom right. that rarely change. And I know people are going to say you're so critical because they were seven and nine. It's not like they've been three and thirteen. No, oh they haven't been. God. But they're going to be three and thirteen or four and twelve this year. And they were. Three and thirteen in two thousand thirteen, and they were four and twelve in two thousand fourteen, and then we got Kirk Cousins. <laughs> okay. Um, well, I bet you wish we had Kirk back, everybody. Uh, you know what? I so, somebody really called me out so well this morning on Twitter. Hold on, I'm going to find it real quickly because it made me laugh so hard. Hold on, let me find it. Um, so this morning I was talking about, and I felt this way all year. I've said it on the podcast too, that I really didn't think that Minnesota was going to be a playoff team this year. I didn't pick them to make the playoffs. I thought there was something wrong there. It didn't seem right. It didn't seem right for Kirk. It didn't. And then as I've watched them throughout the year, he's actually played very well. But I think their defense is fraudulent. I've watched the Vikings enough to know that they're very inconsistent, especially in their secondary. You know, they're the number one penalized team uh, on pass plays defensively in the uh, in the NFL. And I just have this sense that that they're not a, a legitimate threat. And I've and I, I've said that. And I and, and Greg, you know, this morning said. We were talking about our final four teams, like two in the AFC, two in the NFC. And he said, what about Minnesota? I'm like, I don't believe in them. I really don't. So the incomparable CJ, yes. who we know on, on Twitter, we knew Kevin Sheehan was a contrarian better. Didn't know he was a hedging expert, too. Because when Kirk wins, it's a 15 minutes of, see, told you he was great, <laughs> hashtag stats, which really made me laugh. And when he loses against winning teams or in big games, I said I didn't like the Vikings this year. <laughs> and with a, a laughing emoji, and I, I responded, ah, you got me. I am I am not hedging as much as I because I really don't think in fact I, I have this weird feeling they're gonna they're gonna throw up all over themselves down the stretch here and the Rams are gonna make the playoffs and they're not. But just to be clear, I am rooting for Kirk Cousins to play well and for his team to make the playoffs. Every year when the Redskins are out of it, I look for something to root for. It's been so many years, the Chargers, and as people have referred to, my AFC girlfriend, Phillip Rivers, the Chargers are out of it. They play the Vikings this week. So I've got Kirk against Phillip Rivers. I'm, I'm rooting for the Vikings to win because they've got a chance to make the postseason. The Chargers haven't. But I'm such a huge NFL fan, and I've this season's a great season, and there's a lot left to it. It's going to be great. And I usually find a team that I believe in or there's a player or a coach that I like that I'm rooting for. So, yeah. And I've done this in the past. Do you know that when the Cleveland Browns had Mark Mosley as their kicker, remember when he left the Redskins and Mosley was their kicker in in that playoff game, double overtime game against the Jets in 86, and he missed like three field goals, but he finally made one in the second overtime to win? I was a massive Browns fan. Because I was rooting for Mosley. <laughs> Who was the quarterback? Of the uh, Bernie Kosar. Was it Bernie? Yeah, yeah. Okay. That was um, 
the the that eighty six that was before the drive. That was the game before they lost to now, Denver at home. Now in the that drive. was Marty the coach or Sam Marty. Marty was the yeah. Coach Marty then. was the coach. Okay. Yeah, that was the the Kozar Browns that lost back to back AFC Championship games to Denver. Okay. You know, in '86 they lost in the drive, and in '87 right. they lost in the, the fumble. fumble. And Mosley was the kicker in '86. The Skins had released him the year before or early in that, maybe that that particular year. Would That would have been the first year. No, that was not the first year of Low Miller. No. That's when they went through all of the, um, uh, the uh, whatchamacallit brothers. The uh, um, Zendejas? The Zendejas brothers. Yes. They went through a lot of Zendejas's uh, <laughs> over the course of, of a few years. But, you know, I have always at the end of the year when my team's been out, you know, and the Redskins were in it in '86. Okay, they were involved, but you know, when Rippin quarterbacked a couple of teams late in the season, including the Indianapolis Colts one year, I was so rooting for Rippin to do well. When Monk was in New York, and when Gary Clark, you know, was in Arizona, Dexter in Arizona, I was always rooting for those players. So many have been like your infatuation with Kirk now that he's not a Redskin is ridiculous. Well, no, I've actually been that way a lot over the years with players who were Redskins that I really liked. You know, Monk, Clark, Manley, Rippin, all come to mind as guys that, you know, when they went to other places, I was really rooting for them to do well. And I am with Kirk too. This, but, is, you this know. is a bit disingenuous. What is? This, this, this. No, it's not. Yes, it is. I'll tell you why. Okay. Minnesota versus the Redskins. Kirk versus the Redskins. Who are you rooting for? If with the Redskins out of it right now, Minnesota. Okay. Well, then, then, then I mean. The, yeah, no, no. Uh, the, well, that, but I'm rooting for the Redskins. That's a little bit different. I've been rooting for the Redskins to lose here this year. Anyway, I want I want to complete. Now, next year, if they've got a new front office and Eric Bieniemy's the coach and we got a new you know start and Dan's apologized to all the fans for the last 20 years and he's owned the last 20 years and he provides you know a new GM uh, with contractual autonomy and he promises to stay out of it I'll probably get suckered into buying into rooting really hard and saying all right we got a shot now and next year if they were if they were actually had a meaningful game against the Vikings no chance okay no chance but if they if they came in here, if they had the Redskins on the they had the Redskins on the schedule this I year. Know. If they had the Redskins on the schedule at the end of the year to get into the playoffs with the Redskins being, you know, 3 and 11, I absolutely would be rooting for the Vikings. There you go. That's enough on that. Uh, real quick word about mybookie.ag. It's an exciting time for sports, really exciting for the NFL as we uh, approach the you know, December in the playoffs, and now you got all these bowl games and the two semifinal games. There are going to be plenty of opportunities to bet. And by the way, Aaron, did you see the Maryland line for tonight? Oh, it's it's moving a lot, too. Where is it right now? Maryland was minus one when I saw it last. It dipped to Penn State minus one. It's back at Maryland minus one, but it's moving all around all that right. uh, pick them. If I had a college basketball smell test, I'd tell you to play Penn State tonight. I think Maryland's going to lose their first game tonight. Um, and if they don't, then it really says something about the Terps. But anyway, if you're looking for a place to bet and you listen to all of our gambling conversation and have over the years and you want to bet and you want to bet – um, but you don't have a way to bet, consider mybookie.ag. You need a place that's reliable, mybookie.ag is that. Uh, they've got quality lines. They give you many different ways to bet on games. Um, MyBookie's got uh, better lines, better odds than any other sports book around. If you join right now, MyBookie will match your deposit halfway. 
all the way up to $1,000. That means if you deposit $2,000, you'll get an extra $1,000 in free money to play with. All you got to do is use my promo code, Kevin DC, K E V I N D C, to activate the offer. Once again, Kevin DC at mybookie.ag. All right, let's get to Strasburg, Tommy. That's a lot of money, $245 million for seven years. Did you think he was going to get that kind of deal? No, I didn't think he'd get that much money. Uh, I thought that he'd be back of, of the two free agents, Strasburg and Rendon. I thought that Strasburg was the most likely one to come back. Right. Uh, that is a ton of money. Uh, you know, I've raised concerns about the expiration date on guys who, who have had Tommy John surgery. Uh, you know, how long do they last before they need another one? Strasburg has started, I think, 240 games, including the playoffs. Since Tommy John Since the Tommy John surgery. Uh, I think had like 1,400 innings since then. Uh, you know, so, I mean, that kind of commitment, seven years, that kind of money for a guy who, you know, is that removed from the Tommy John surgery normally would be a big risk. But then part of me also says nobody knows Strasburg's medical situation better than the Nationals, obviously. They, they know the player. They know his medicals. Uh, Mike Rizzo uh, knows uh, it, what the risk is for an investment like that. So you got to think that uh, th- they think that it's, it's worth the risk. Because, look, I, I, I'm, all, I'm against in long-term investments against pitchers. Uh, in pitchers, unless it's your pitcher, because then you know the guy better than anybody, and you know you know the likelihood of what could happen to him down the line. So this is their guy. They know his medicals better than anybody. They've they decided that it's worth the risk. I mean, it's 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 great for the fan base. I wrote a column saying you know the other day saying that the learners you know they can't run their baseball team like a mall. They have an opportunity here. To to if they can if they can like become the baseball team in baseball the dominant team in baseball for the next couple of years, they have an opportunity here to plant long lasting yeah. important roots in this town that could be game changing, give given the, the competition they're dealing with. I mean, what's what's better than one World Series? Two World Series, yeah. you know? So they have an opportunity to do that, but it was important, I think, to bring both Strasburg and Rendon back in order to do that. Uh, they've done that with Strasburg, uh, and, and he's the easier one because he clearly loves it here. Yeah, he loves it here. He loves it here. But he's doesn't very, Rendon like it here, too? I, look, nobody knows what Rendon likes. I mean, I, again, I remember you telling me, though, maybe a year ago, that you didn't think that Rendon, you thought Rendon was a guy that didn't like change, didn't want the limelight, wasn't going to fall in love with a New York or a Boston or an LA and would ultimately, you know, be, end up where he's comfortable, and that is here. But that, but their biggest competition is the Texas Rangers. Yeah. I mean, you know, Texas, I mean, he's from Houston. Right. So, I mean, it's, it's not like it's right next door, but at least it's in the same state. And uh, I think, you know, I don't, I'm not sure Rendon is particularly close to anyone on the team. You know, the Nationals did a smart thing a couple years ago by making him their designated player to connect with the youth academy to try to establish roots for him here right. and, and a connection. And he did embrace that. But, again, I just think he's the kind of guy who 
I, I just don't think he feels any kind of I, his best friend at, of all the years he played on the Nationals was Daniel Murphy. And he saw Daniel Murphy go from the Mets to the Nationals to the to the Rockies. So he understands that, you know, that the, that was his best friend. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the, Rendon is a very devout Christian. Yeah. And so is Daniel Murphy and they shared that that was a real important is Daniel connection. Daniel Murphy a Catholic? Uh, I don't know if he's a Catholic. Mm-hmm. But they they shared that and that was very important to both of them. So he's seen his best friend go from you know, one team to another team to another team. He understands how that goes. Uh, and so I just think now it's interesting because Mark Lerner in this interview that he did with NBC Sports Washington, I, I don't know if it's aired yet, but when they, they released part Donald of it. Donald Dell did the interview. Yeah, I, I don't know what that's about. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, you know, he said. I saw we can't, Donald Dell at dinner the other night. Really? Well, I didn't say hello to him, but he was in the same restaurant. He said we can't afford. Mark Lerner said we can't afford both of them. Mm-hmm. Well, you know that's not that's not true. They can't afford both of them. Of course they can. They're rich. You know? Yeah, I mean that's <laughs> and they just they just probably made about thirty forty million dollars extra. In we revenue. saw what Rizzo said about that, didn't? Yeah, he? he tried to defuse it, and and, well, and he said that the structures of the deal, which by the way, this Strasburg deal included eighty million dollars of deferred money. Yes, to twenty twenty eight through twenty thirty. What was the Harper? Wasn't it like twenty seventy or something like that? Yeah, twenty fifty. But, but I might want to point Way out down the road. Yeah, I might want to point out that the same formula they use for present day value. In, in in the Strasburg thing, the formula that you use for present day value was a Major League Baseball Players Association formula. Okay, and that formula had the Harper contract at two hundred sixty seven million dollars. All right, I don't I don't Not, want to go back and relitigate right. that. My I point is, point is that, that that Rizzo was saying that the way that we've structured the deals should allow us for the ability to go after Rendon. Yeah, that he I, didn't really you know Lerner. Didn't really agree necessarily with that. Well, but but he. We've Mark, only seen the headline. But Mark's not the sign. I mean, Mike's not signing the check. Yeah, it's it's Mark Lerner. I know. And and again, the learners dictate a lot of stuff, and mm-hmm. uh, they have to de- they have determined. I think, and like one of the things he did say was that uh, Mark Lerner also supposedly said, you know, it's not one sided. The player has to want to play. That's here. right. He did say that. And I don't think Rendon doesn't want to play in Washington. But I don't think you're. I don't think you're going to be able to tap into any kind of special feeling for Rendon to take a deal that's more that's more team friendly than than Strasburg did. I think Rendon is gone. I and I think I think that's a missed opportunity. For one thing, that they could have signed him when when they were the only team able to talk to him. Yeah, like in in spring training, they could have signed him. Um, I will really, really be upset. I'm expecting it now because all of the tea leaves have sort of indicated that Rendon's not coming back. I'll be disappointed, though. Man, what what a great player. What a clutch player. Um, what a player uh, in, in terms of tied to just one of the great memories in D.C. sports history. And immediately he, he leaves. It, it just... It, 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 I said to you the other day that it would be really, truly deflating if both of them were gone. I'm glad Strasburg's back, and I'm, I want to just uh, get, to, get to him here in a moment in a little bit more um, detail. But, man, Anthony Rendon is just everything you would want in like a – to me, he's like the Kawhi Leonard. You know, I love yeah, Kawhi yes. Leonard. Like he's so great, but he's so unassuming, and it's never about him. And you know all the things that old people like about great players. I like about Anthony yes. Rendon. Yeah, you know. So anyway, um, now, uh, but the thing is, 
No, also uh, w- with with Rendon is you've got this dynamic of two players at the Nationals draft in back to back years, Bryce Harper and Anthony Rendon, walking away, and that's a bad look. I mean, you know that. I mean that that tells fans that they they you know they can't keep the stars that they fall in love with. Now they couldn't keep all of them, obviously, but. Uh, Rendon was not Harper, and Rendon was a guy that if they had made the investment when they had him under control, it would have cost them a lot less money. And they should have had the foresight to see that Rendon, based on his track record, was capable of the kind of year he has he, he had this year and is capable of, of more years like that throughout his career. So it's the disappointment of that. And I'm sure there's some fans that are thinking, well, you know, Juan Soto will he- be here another five years, maybe, and then he's gone. Is that what's going to happen? I know. I mean, you start thinking. Look, you know, it was only um, it was in May when they were floundering, and they hadn't brought Harper back, and now they were in danger of, of losing Rendon. And Scherzer was being talked about as a potential trade deadline yes. guy. That the franchise looked like it was on the verge of being in tatters in terms of perception of it. And then, you know, obviously they go on that crazy run. They get to the playoffs. They win the World Series. So losing Rendon now is a lot different than losing Rendon if you didn't have a world championship to go with it. Um, but, I, I, you know, whatever. It's, it seems to be th- that sport. You get big-name players that should stay in certain places or you perceive them to be players that are built for certain markets and then they leave. I mean, Happens again, all the, time. I, the, the Nationals are a unique uh, situation. Baseball in Washington was here for decades, and then it wasn't. Yeah. For like 33 years, it wasn't. And the learners still haven't gotten this, this notion that, I mean, th- there's, no other, there's no other market like this in baseball that went through something like that. And they have a unique opportunity to, to jump, to jump, I mean, huge jump forward in, in, in their place in this town yeah. if they build – a perennial World Series contender. If they build a team that goes back they sort to of the have. World Series. I know, well, but but no one, I mean, they were a first-round exit team. Now, I, now I, they're going to be looked that, But they're in the hunt that. like almost every year. Yes, they are. That, Like Mike Rizzo says, and rightfully so, uh, they're the second winningest team in baseball since 2012. Yeah. But attendance was down to almost 2.1 million this year. TV ratings, they got out, they, they were outrated by the Orioles yeah. that lost 108 games. So that narrative wasn't work. It's a unique, it's a unique fan base that still has to be nurtured. I'm sorry, but I don't know why they don't understand that. Well, you got to tell them. I do all the time, and they don't <laughs> listen. You know, it's funny. I, I uh, uh, at the uh, World Series documentary premiere uh, after it was over, uh, there was an elevator with Mark Lerner and uh, some of the other learners. Uh, and Bob Tannenbaum, uh, who's, you know, the brother-in-law uh, right. uh, and uh, very nice guy. I mean, all the learners are nice guys. Yeah. I, I really, I mean, they're always very pleasant Mark's to me. Mark's always pleasant. Yeah, yeah. yeah very, very, very nice individuals, all of them. But their elevator is packed, and, and, I'm, and I say, that's okay, I'll wait. And Bob Tannenbaum insisted... I ride down with them. Yeah, I remember you talking uh, about on the elevator. It was so. It, it was it's all it was, you got to do to impress Tommy. It was so bizarre. <laughs> Give me a good parking place. Give me his face yeah. on the elevator. Yeah. I'm happy. It's his simplicity that makes him so complex. <laughs> um, on Strasburg, though, you know, 
he has become one of the best big game clutch performers in sports. He yes. just has been. And his game six in the World Series against the Astros, I don't think I'm being um, you know hyperbolic. I don't think this is major exaggeration because I felt that way that night, that it was one of the all-time D.C. sports moments. You know, we went through, remember, and we sort of ranked all of those October moments. And that was, for me, the number two moment that I'll, I'll never forget. Kendrick's Grand Slam in Game 5 in Dodger Stadium was number one. But there were so many to choose from. You know, getting to Josh Hader in the wild card yeah. game. But what Strasburg did in this postseason, you know, starting with the relief appearance in the wild card game against Milwaukee, pitching three innings, two hits, no runs, dominant. You know, keeping that lead, uh, the Milwaukee lead to three to one before they they had the rally in the eighth against Hader. The game two in the in Dodger Stadium in that next series when they lost game one, right. and he gave up a couple of runs, and then he was dominant, and they won, which was really, you know, if you go back and, and talk about some of the great games on that run that. Friday night, four to two, Nats winning game two. That that was a phenomenal baseball game. Yes, it was. Um, But you know, there he was in game six, a moment like like the 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 Cubs moment from a few years ago. Game four, down two one on the road at Wrigley, got a win to to extend the season. That's a big moment. But you're talking about being down three two in the World Series, facing elimination after your team has lost three games in a row at home. And your team looks like you're about to get beat. Like it, it felt going yes. back to Houston that they were going to get beat. And that game did not start well for him. Remember, he was tipping his pitches. Oh yeah. And Paul Menhart, you know, uh, one of my favorite stories from Menhart after that game or after the series. It may have been after that game six was we debated whether or not to tell him that he was tipping his pitches. <laughs> and I thought to myself, debating it. What do you mean debating it? You got to tell them right away, which they did. Yes. And then he was dominant. But can you imagine an all time story of the Nats lose game six and Paul Menhart and others in the Nats organization knew he was tipping his pitches, which is why he got beat early. And they didn't tell him because they <laughs> thought it might, you know, shake him somehow. I don't, I don't know. But Menhart, you know, told him. And then Strasburg, basically, after giving up two runs on two hits in the first inning, he takes that game into the ninth. He goes seven and a third of lights out. And remember the moment, Tommy, there were a couple of moments. He struck out Carlos Correa to escape a two-on, two-out jam. But it was the moment in the fifth when the game's still tight and Altuve, who's been the clutch hitter for them, is up with runners on second and third and with just one out. And he gets him on what turned out the changeup and the curveball were just unhittable. And that curveball was in the dirt and Altuve's chasing it. And Strasburg got through that inning and you're like, oh my God, this guy delivers. And I read this quote this morning on the air when I was talking about Strasburg because I had it in my notes about game six because I, I... I think that that game was really an all-timer in our city and in an all-time performance. A.J. Hinch said after the game, he said, that guy has an uncanny ability to slow the game down when he's under any duress. And you think about just Strasburg's career of being delicate, of being shaken by everything. Yes. And now 
he's out there in the biggest moment the sport can produce. You know, down 3-2 in Game 6 of the World Series. And he's given up a couple of runs early. And then he's able to slow everything down and just go out there and be badass dominant. Yeah. Which he was. And he ended up pitching into the ninth. He would have pitched a complete game had that score been tighter. But remember, they pulled him with one out in the ninth because they figured we might need him in Game 7. Yeah. You know, um, went 5-0 and in the postseason. First pitcher in history to go 5-0. and in the postseason, also had a 1.98 in 9.8 ERA in six total postseason outings in October, which included uh, the uh, the relief appearance in the wild card game. His ERA in the postseason of 1.46 is second all time to Sandy Koufax. I know he has become, and this cemented it, the best big game pitcher in the sport. You had to re-sign him. I don't care about John, Tommy John surgery. There's too much that's unknown about the risks of what he might be two, three years from now. He, I love Rendon, and I want Rendon back. I would have been crushed had Strasburg not re-signed. I can't wait until he pitches for the first time next year. I can't wait until he pitches in the postseason next year. I want him to get back to the postseason. It'll be so huge, the anticipation for it, much bigger than it was this year. I I compared it to remember the Caps when they played Carolina last year after being Stanley Cup uh, champions and trying to defend it, how big that series was. If the Nats get into the postseason next year, it will be massive, even more massive than it was before this postseason. And just to see the best big game pitcher in the sport pitching for this team again, I- I'm I'm so happy he's staying. Well, I'm happy he's staying too. I've always liked him. Uh, I've always had a good relationship with Strasburg. And over the years, I find him, I found him to be more insightful than he let on, mm-hmm. except you saw a lot of that insight in some of his quotes this during the postseason this year. He became obviously much more relaxed you know in a way this year and and what we saw in the playoffs was the pitcher that we've been waiting for since the 2009 debut since the debut against I mean, Pittsburgh. he's been great since then yeah he's been <clears throat> great sometimes good other times but there there's always been a question mark and and i mean because he came out of i mean front you know like Cover Sports Illustrated, right. the, the the highest, the, the most highly touted pitcher out of college in decades, you know? So he finally realized the expectations that everybody had for him uh, when, when he had that rookie debut uh, against the Pirates. Uh, I don't want to tread on sacred ground here, but his run in the, in the playoffs this year over three different, over the wild card, the uh, three, division three series, series yeah. no four. If you well, take the you, wild card, uh, they count the wild card as a right. series, but you know it's a game. Is it similar to what Rigo did in the yes. uh, in the playoffs that year? They in the first Super Bowl season. I mean, where he, I mean, against yeah. Minnesota and Detroit. And, yeah, it was Detroit, Minnesota, so, and then Dallas, and right. then and, and then, then and, uh, Miami. and then Miami in the Super Bowl. I mean, Riggins, I, I think, still holds the record for the most rushing yards in a postseason, in a single postseason. Well, I think to me, those the, uh, yeah, those mean, are the they're, three they're, greatest weeks in, in Washington sports. Um, yeah, I mean, of course. I mean, that first Super Bowl, winning that first Super Bowl and beating Dallas in the NFC Championship yeah. game is, for me as a sports fan, as a Washingtonian, it's the greatest moment of my sports fandom, you know, uh, being a sports fan in D.C. That that. 
that January is the greatest. Um, and Rigo's run, to me, he's always going to be all-time yeah. for it because he delivered in the clutch he wanted it. And Strasburg's very similar. Very similar. Not personality-wise. No, not at all. But, not at all. But, but, but in what, terms what of he what accomplished. he accomplished. I mean, he, he had the greatest postseason pitching performance ever. Nobody's ever gone 5-0. and oh. Yeah. So, yeah, they're comparable. Yeah. Definitely comparable. Um, okay. Uh, quick reminder that we've got an app. You can get it uh, on your iPhone through the App Store, uh, on your Android through the Google Store. Um, it works. You guys have uh, liked it. You don't have to use it, but if you're looking for another way to listen to the podcast, you can do it that way. I've got two things before we wrap it up for today. And I got something, too, before we wrap right. it up. So we didn't mention RG3 and the possibility of him starting Thursday night yet. No, we didn't. Yeah. I think Aaron and I talked about it before the show uh, started. So uh, Lamar Jackson's got an injured quad. He didn't practice yesterday. RG3 took all of the reps. They're playing the Jets on Thursday night, short week. You know, Aaron said it. I totally agree with him. If, if he's not 100%, why would you even play Lamar Jackson if you're the Ravens? You're playing the Jets at home. Why risk Lamar Jackson? I agree with that. Which, I mean, Lamar Jackson, you want his legs to be healthy. Which sets it up for a potential Robert Griffin III start I'm rooting for Thursday that. Thursday night football. I don't know what the outcome will be, but I'm rooting for that scenario. I am absolutely convinced to this day that if he had not been empowered by the owner, if he didn't have sort of some self-destructive tendencies, um, I, I think if he had stuck with Mike and Kyle, that they could – you know, he was always injury prone. He sort of had that track body. He was breakable. I get all that. But it would have turned out much better for him in the long run, and he. Had, but he had to be committed to playing that football, and we we know that he wasn't. He, right. He went in on that day in whenever it was February or January, you know, after that that rookie season, and he basically you know called the meeting um, with Mike and with Kyle and Matt Lafleur, um, and you know wrote on a whiteboard the plays that were not going to be in the playbook the following year. Yes. <laughs> Can you imagine? No, but no. it's true. We know this to be a true story. Um, and never and, forget we, that. Yeah. Never forget that. So, um, and, and basically, he was doing what the owner pretty much told him to do. Yeah, he he absolutely was. And if that hadn't happened, and if he had stuck with that style of play and continued to be groomed by two of the best when it comes to quarterback play, um, it would have turned out well for him. So now, if he gets this start Thursday night, playing in that system that suits him, you know, the Lamar Jackson Baltimore offense. Yes. I think he has a chance to succeed. I do think that Lamar Jackson's a better pocket passer and a better thrower altogether, but Griffin always had a good arm yeah. and always had an accurate arm. You know, so um it would be interesting to see because it would also be an opportunity for him if he played really well. He's to a free be a agent starter next year, absolutely. To be a potential starter next year somewhere. Yes, it would. Uh the last thing I wanted to mention before you get to your last thing. Did you see Friday night, Aaron? We didn't talk about this yesterday. I don't believe Chris Paul and the Thunder are playing the Timberwolves in Oklahoma City. This is the NBA, right? This is the NBA. I, I, I'm not familiar with that league. I know. I, I know. I I used to be familiar with an NBA. But... So at the very end of the game, Chris Paul sees Jordan Bell come out onto the floor with about 1.1 seconds to go. Minnesota's at the free throw line. It's Carl Anthony Towns who's at the free throw line. They're up two, I think. And Jordan Bell comes out onto the floor with his shirt untucked. 
it's a delay of game penalty when you come out onto the floor with your shirt untucked. It's an NBA rule. You've got to tuck your shirt in before you check into the game. When you walk out onto the floor, it's a delay of game. Well, a delay of game had already been called on Minnesota earlier in the game. So when Jordan Bell walked out onto the floor, there's vi- there's video and sound, natural sound. You can hear Chris Paul, who's on the free throw line before these free throws, start saying to Scott Foster, the referee, his shirt's untucked. His shirt's untucked. That's a technical foul. That's a tee. You got to tee him up. And they did. They teed Jordan did Bell they up. Really? And so they made a free throw to cut it to one. And then uh, Carl Anthony Towns made the free throw. They're up two. They went length of the floor. And uh, Dennis Schroeder hit a shot to force overtime at the buzzer. And the Thunder won the game in overtime. So Chris Paul, after the game, was asked about it. And he said, I knew the rule. And they said, well, did you know a uh, delay of game had already been called? He said, of course I did. <laughs> he, he knew everything. It was really ironic for me because it came the night after or the day after we had discussed, I think we had discussed together, that LeBron James basically went out onto the floor in his socks, was four feet from the actual action going on on his end of the floor, and the, we we did talk about this on Thursday, oh, yeah. right? And they didn't do anything about yeah. it. They didn't do anything about it. And then you saw his phony baloney Instagram the next day, where he did you see? Have we, we, I, I did this on Friday, so you weren't here. So the LeBron James Instagram to all the criticism of him coming on the floor. Did you see that, Tommy, or not? No, I didn't see that. Hold on. The Instagram um, response from LeBron to you remember the Utah Jazz announcers. Um, yeah. That got you know it said that he was disrespecting the game and they were upset about him coming out on the floor. So his Instagram Friday, Tommy. I mean, you talk about needy man. Um, this was his Instagram response. Imagine doing your job at the highest level to where you're not needed anymore. He's referring to himself playing so well that he's at the bench because yes. the game's a blowout. Giving your shoes to a little girl and boy who you inspire and hoped you made proud that night. Then cheering on your teammates because you love seeing them succeed more than yourself. Only to be criticized while doing it. Oh my God. People, it's the world we live in and you can't let it ever stop you from your purpose in life. Negativity, bad energy, hate, envy, etc., etc. will try to bring you down throughout your journey and it's up to you on how you handle it. I handle it by simply saying thank you with a smile on my face and continue to push forward while doing it. Live, laugh, love. Um, It was so disingenuous because... He's smart. He knows what the criticism was. The criticism was not about him giving his shoes to a little girl or boy, or that it wasn't about him cheering on his teammates. The criticism specifically from many, including me, was that he came out onto the floor with the action going on on the end of the floor near him with his socks on waving a towel. You know, there's a shot. Somebody put out a shot. I didn't. I, I didn't see this until after the show on Friday, where you see the guy who had his shot blocked by Kuzma twice. Before he gets it blocked for a second, he looks briefly to make a pass, and LeBron's in his periphery, and so that may be one of the reasons he went back up with the shot because he thought that LeBron was a player on the yeah. floor and would have picked off the pass, but he had a wide open shooter out on the wing, and he didn't pass it to him. So um, a, a lot of people really went after LeBron for that response, including Craig Bowlerjack. I think that's his name, Aaron, who's the Utah Jazz guy that he was criticizing. He said, you know, no offense, you're, you're the greatest, you're the king, but 
we no one was criticizing you for cheering on your teammates. Right. We're criticizing you because you're out on the floor as a sixth man. But I just thought it was very ironic that Chris Paul gets a technical foul called for somebody who's on the floor legally, but he's got his shirt untucked. And LeBron James is out there as the sixth guy and the waving rules, a towel with the, his socks on. The rules and don't no apply one to will LeBron. even consider no. fining him or giving, uh, giving him a tee. So anyway, the Chris Paul thing I just thought was interesting. You know, Chris Paul is not a he's not a well-liked NBA player, that. but he is really smart and he's going to be a I think he's going like Rondo. It's the same way I feel about Rondo. I think he's going to be a very good coach. A really good coach. Rondo's going to be a phenomenal coach. He's actually had almost a... You have to get along with people to be a good coach. I know, but now Rondo is getting along with people okay. in, later in his career. You know, uh, all the young people on the Lakers last year loved Rondo. They couldn't stand LeBron, you know, the team they had last year. Anyway, you said you had one more thing before well, we get Well, no, I just wanted to mention that, uh, you know, because I forget to do this sometimes, because I'm not, you know, that much of a self-promoter, uh, you know. Right. Uh, I mean... Uh, so I wanted to mention, you can hear me on 106.7 The Fan, uh, thir- Wednesday afternoons with Chad Dukes and Saturday mornings from 9 to 12 with Nick Ashu. And you could read my columns in the Washington Times, washingtontimes.com slash sports. There you go. Um, and uh, for those of you that don't know, um, I'm, I'm back on radio. Been back on radio for four months now. August, September, October, November. Four and a half months. Uh, on 980, 7 to 10 a.m. weekday mornings, I'm enjoying it, and I enjoy doing this too. Uh, thanks to all of you. Thanks to Aaron. Uh, back tomorrow. I think Cooley's going to be on with me tomorrow, um, so tune in for that. Uh, that's it. That's all I got, unless you got something else. No apology day. <laughs> Have a great day, everybody. <laughs>